Yeah. Amen. So it was just a few weeks ago when my family and I were up in Tomahawk. And so not very long ago, I asked where up north was. I've actually been there now, so that's, that's super fun. Um, so we were up, we were up at, at, at Tomahawk, Sarah Park, and we are going to ride a 13-mile round trip to one of the greatest treasures in the Northwoods, the Windmill Ice Cream Shop. Has anybody been there before? I mean, man, that was like the promised land. It was just so much fun. And so as, on the first leg of this trip, it's six and a half miles there and six and a half miles back. On the first leg of this trip, maybe three or four miles in, uh, my two older boys and myself, Noah and, and Eli, were maybe 200 yards ahead of Amy and my youngest son, Titus. And so we decided to stop and take a break, let them catch up. And so as we are you know, talking, grabbing a drink of water, resting our legs a minute, we happen to see a car on this secluded bike trail heading right toward us. We were a little bit confused because clearly at the trailhead it said no motorized vehicles allowed on the trail. So we're like, what is happening here? But as we waited and as a car approached a little bit closer, we realized this isn't any, just any car driven by just any person. This was a police cruiser driven by a police officer. Now, I'm sure no one else in here struggles with this, but when I saw this police officer coming towards us, I'm like, what law did I just break? What, what did we do? What happened? You know, we're, we're having this conversation. Turns out we, nothing went wrong. We were law-abiding citizens. We were just enjoying a nice bike uh, ride on the trail. Turns out the police officer was looking for a dog owner and a dog who had bitten someone else a, a little while ago. We hadn't seen anybody. We said, if we find them, we'll let you know. We'll call the dispatcher at 911. So as, as the police officer is driving away, my boys and I are having this conversation. It's like, isn't it funny that when you see a police officer, like, you feel guilty. What is that all about? And it could be in a secluded bike path up north or in my rearview mirror. I just have this sinking feeling like I, I have just done something wrong. Guilt is kind of a funny thing like that. You know, oftentimes we'll associate guilt with a bad feeling we get when we do something wrong. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll commit a crime or we'll have a sinful action. And we, we'll feel bad about that. But, you know, sometimes the opposite can be true. We can, we can uh, be guilty and not feel guilty all of the time as well. Let me, let me reference back to my story because sometimes, man, I feel guilty and I've done nothing wrong at all. Think about my police story. I felt guilty for something even though there was really nothing to feel guilty about. That's the funny thing about guilt. It has, has a way of making us feel things that may or may not be true. And oftentimes these feelings can have residual effects in our life, and oftentimes it will place a weight on us that we feel like we just have to carry for the whole rest of our life. And oftentimes we will see this in the form of condemnation. So to, to finish setting the table for us today, I just want to lay before us a couple of questions that will kind of build the basis for our time together. Number one, first question, what is condemnation? And number two, why is it so gripping? Why does it seem to have such a, a stronghold on our heart? And the reason I want to talk about this is, number one, I've felt this in my own heart. I've had, I have some experiential knowledge that I, that I want to share. Number two, I've sat in the counseling room across the table from grieving parents struggling over a prodigal child, wondering what was it about my parenting, what decisions that I make that this all went south. Or I've sat across from a guy who's struggling to, to move past some choices he's made in, in his history. And he just can't seem to move past it, gripped, and, and just weighed down by the condemnation of past mistakes and past sinful choices. 
So, so what I want to do is I want to share some of that, but I also want to let us know that there is hope, there is joy. And as we're going to see in our text, Paul says there is no condemnation. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, I just want to address a couple of these questions and then share the joy that comes from being a follower of Jesus. So with that, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless our time together. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, uh, so we'll, we'll be there in a minute. But let's ask God to, to bless our, our conversation together. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word and for this time that that you have arranged for us to be together to hear uh, your word, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So God, as we dive into this text, God, will you just open up our heart? Will you open up our minds? Will you challenge and grow us? May we see uh, your joy for us and your love for us, and may we walk in that. I ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to read the first four. Uh, Four verses together. This is what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, Romans chapter 8 is one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. And it's been given the title by at least one theologian as liberation through God's Spirit. And as we have already read, we can see that. We've seen this in the text already. And so so while some of us are bound by the weight of condemnation, it is actually the Holy Spirit that produces life in us. But, you know, in order for us to get a good handle on on what's going on in Romans chapter 8, I think it's a good idea just to hop back to chapter 7 and see what Paul's wrestling with that actually leads him to say what he says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. See, Paul has this tension in his life. Right? He has this great desire to do what is pleasing to the Lord, but there's this another law, the law of his flesh, that he's actually wrestling with. Let's just read Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25, to see the tension that is, being, that is in Paul's life that, is, that he is wrestling with. This is what Paul says. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We we see, we feel, we experience the tension that is, is wrestling around inside of Paul. And I think we feel that and we know that because this is the tension we feel in our own heart. This is the battle that we face as Christians ourselves. We desperately want to please the Lord. We want to walk in a way that's honoring to him. Yet at times our sinful flesh will lead us and entice us to make sinful choices. This is what Paul's facing. This is what you and I face as well. And this can seem overwhelming. And we can feel like, man, this just must be my life. This just must be what it is. But this is when Paul shares with the reader hope. This is when we come to to Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and this is what Paul says again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And so while we feel this tension, we feel this war, we feel the weight of our past sinful choices weighing on us like condemnation, Paul says there is no condemnation. And the word Paul chooses to use here is katakarima. And it means penal servitude. Essentially it means that one is bearing the punishment as, uh, as of being in prison and doing hard physical labor. And isn't that what we do when we feel the weight of condemnation? Right? We feel like well, i got a scratch and i got a claw and i got to try and work my way out of this. And we feel like, man, if I can just keep working, if I can just keep scraping by, then it's going to be better. And we continue in this cycle. But the problem with this, this cycle that we see is it actually doesn't lead to any further freedom any further joy, any further hope. In fact, the longer we stand the cycle, we only accrue more guilt and bondage. Yet Paul says, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no working off a debt. There is no bearing the punishment. See, condemnation, it binds us to our past, and it, it prevents us from taking productive steps in, in, our, in our walk with the Lord. That's a big problem. There's a big problem with condemnation. In addition to this, I think there are three common problems that I see with condemnation. The first is this. Condemnation will bring terrible regret and grief over a situation, but it doesn't lead one to repentance and hope. We can feel bad about it, but oftentimes it doesn't produce any repentance. It doesn't produce any hope. Right? We can feel bad about that. And sometimes we think when we're in this position that we feel like, man, Christ's work on the cross isn't sufficient to atone for this particular sin. Man, Jesus can forgive a lot, but this, man, I don't know, that's pretty tough. Right? We feel that in our heart, and it drains us of our hope. And that's why, that's why condemnation can cause so much pain in one's heart. It will literally extinguish the hope, any hope that we have, out of our heart, and it can come out of the blue. Now, we're kind of approaching the fall season. Most of us don't want to hear that, but it's true. It's coming. And so imagine it's a nice, cool fall, uh, fall night here in central Wisconsin. And you decide, I really would like a campfire. And so you go outside. It's about 8 o'clock. The sun has set. It's, it's dark out at this point. And so you're outside. You're building this fire. You finally get it lit. And you're just standing around it or sitting in a chair. And you just feel the warmth of this fire. You see the glow of the flame. You see the sparks flying up into the air, and you just feel so good. You know, you, you've been around that. You know what that's like. Now imagine you're, you're around this campfire, and somebody comes with a five-gallon bucket of water, and they just come right up to your campfire, and they just douse it, and it is extinguished immediately, and you're left alone. You're left in the dark, and you are left cold. Condemnation is a lot like that. And we feel the hope of God, and we feel like we're making progress forward, but out of nowhere, here comes the water. Here comes the extinguisher, this thing called condemnation. We just feel so alone. That's a big problem. It literally extinguishes hope out of our heart. The second way condemnation is a big problem is it, allow, it will make us see our sinfulness through a foggy lens. Here, here's what I mean by that. Instead of viewing our sin with pinpoint clarity and being led to the arms of a loving Savior, we'll continue to, where, to wonder where it all went wrong. You know, what happened if I, or, or, or we'll say, if I just would have made a different decision here, if I just would have said that, if I just would have done this, whatever it might be, you, we'll just, we won't see it clearly. It'll be, it'll be foggy, it'll be fuzzy. Now, prior to entering, entering into vocational ministry as a pastor, I was a CNC machinist, and I worked in a couple of different shops over the course of a decade in northwest Indiana. Now, one of the requirements for working in these shops is you have to have the proper PPE, the personal protective equipment. 
So that means I'd have to wear earplugs, I'd have to wear work gloves, safety glasses, um, steel toe boots or metatarsal boots, depending on where I was working and how heavy the steel uh, was that I was machining. Uh, but definitely had to wear safety glasses in every shop that I worked in. Now, there's a big problem with safety glasses. For, for sweaters like myself, I, I sweat super easy. I'm sweating a little bit now. I can break a sweat peeling an orange. Like, it's just super easy for me. And so when I'd be working on a machine, it wouldn't take very long, and sweat would begin to build up on my forehead. And so the problem with that is wearing safety glasses, my glasses would begin to fog up. And I was, I was just super frustrating to me because I, I wanted to have good production numbers. Quite honestly, I wanted to have every record on the machine that I worked on. And so when I couldn't have that, I was frustrated because I'd work for a couple minutes, a minute and a half, however long it was. I'd have to take my glasses off, wipe them off, and then put them back on. I'd start again. And then in a couple minutes, the same thing again. My glasses are fogged up. I'd have, I'd have to stop. That's super frustrating. I wanted to take some steps forward, and I couldn't because I was looking through a foggy lens. Condemnation does that to us in our relationship with the Lord. Right? We want to take proper steps. We want to take steps of growth. Here at Highland, we want to say we want to take our next step. But sometimes when we feel the weight of condemnation, we can't. We're just viewing life through a foggy lens. And it can be super frustrating and super overwhelming. And we just want to move ahead and we just feel like we can't. That's a big problem with condemnation. Uh, the last thing I see as a problem with condemnation is it makes a person draw inwardly for hope rather than turning towards Christ. You know, there are two ways that a person is going to draw inwardly. The first one we've already mentioned, it's a fighter mentality. I'm going I'm to be on a conquest to make sure the choices that I've made in the past, I'm never going to make them again. Right? And the feelings that I've experienced in the past and felt in the past, I, I'm never going to feel them again. I, we are just working and we're clawing and we're scratching and we are on this conquest to make sure we right all wrongs and it's going to be awesome. And we're, we're looking to our own power, our own abilities, our own work to accomplish it. The, the second way a person will draw inwardly, is by choosing to isolate. Or, or you'll disconnect emotionally altogether. And you think, man, if I, if I can just be by myself, if I can just be alone, if I can just be separate from everybody, then, then no one gets hurt. I'm the only one who has to experience the pain. I'm the only one who has to experience the hurt. No one else is going to feel it because I'm all alone. Therefore, you're, you're, we're, we're turning inward to, to look for hope rather than looking on the outside. In both of these cases, we feel like this is the best source of hope available to us. This is it. This is my hope. There, there's nothing else. This is it. I, I am going to, to fix this somehow. And this is what Paul means when he uses the word katakrima, penal servitude. We're, we feel like we're in prison and we have to, to work for this. We have to pay this off on our own. But you know the reality is condemnation is a tool that the enemy will use to steal our joy and our hope. And he will, uh, he will force us to look inwardly rather than turning towards Christ. He, he's, a, he's a thief. You know, I think John 10, 10 describes it well when, uh, well when Jesus says, the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. And oftentimes the tool he will use is condemnation. And he will plant thoughts into your mind that aren't true at all. But you know what? This isn't where the story ends. Paul doesn't leave us hanging here. Yeah, he, the, the, the enemy is out there. The enemy is real. But you know what? There is joy. There is hope. Right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let, let's progress through the rest of this text. Let's, let's look at uh, verses 2 and 3, and let's see what Paul says to us here. Paul says this in, in Romans 8.2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. See, our hope for finding freedom from condemnation is found in Christ alone. Jesus has taken the condemnation of our sin upon himself, and in return he has given us the freedom, the hope, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul introduces to us in verse 2. This is the liberation through God's Spirit that we talked about at the beginning part of this message. See, the, the law... It showed us our sin, even stirred up our sin, eventually leading to a place of condemnation. This wasn't a reflection of the law. This is a reflection of sinful humanity. See, the law was able to hold up to its standard, but it could not empower humanity to hold up to our standard. Because of our sinful desires, we were enticed, we were led astray. However, the freedom produces Uh, The Holy Spirit produces freedom from this. See, condemnation produces death. The Holy Spirit produces life. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul would actually call this the new way of the Spirit. And notice in our text here, Paul calls the Spirit the Spirit of life. The Spirit of life. A believer in Christ has the power of the Holy Spirit in his or her heart. And the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is is at work in us to defeat the power of sin in us. It's, It's working in our heart. That means we are free from the bondage of sin and evil. And we find a new power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have been given the freedom by enjoying the new way of the Spirit. Therefore... We don't have to go about life thinking that somehow we have to work off the the, the divine penalty of our past sins. We don't have to do that. It's already been paid. And this is kind of the crux of what Paul is saying in verse number 3 when he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Notice again, Paul is affirming that the law wasn't the problem for our sinfulness. Notice as it was weakened by the flesh. We are inadequate on our own to to, to have a right standing with God. The law couldn't do it, and we couldn't do it. So God did what we could not do. God sent his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and in the flesh he condemned sin. The, The point that Paul is trying to make here is we can experience freedom in the Spirit because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. And this is where the barrel is emptied on our thinking that somehow the atonement of Christ isn't enough, that it didn't fully satisfy. That's completely false. Paul is saying that we cannot save us, the law cannot save us, no matter how hard we try, but we find freedom, we find hope, we find joy, we find life in the work of Christ on the cross. And that that is enough. That's what Paul is saying. So for those of us who still, still feel like we have to carry the weight of our past sin and and somehow work to atone this, Christ paid for that. Whether it's parents grieving over a prodigal child, thinking somehow your choices influenced that, and you just feel terrible about that. Or it's a husband or wife who've had issues in the past that they just can't get over that hump, or the single guy who's, who's just struggling with life and choices from his past. Whatever it may be, because of what Christ has done on the cross, It's been paid. It's been taken care of. There is freedom, and that's the point that Paul is trying to make. Now, in addition to that, there's a major theological point that I think is is worth us noting in this text. right? Because Paul chooses his words very carefully in the text. Notice that Paul said, Jesus came 
in the likeness of sinful flesh. He did not say that Jesus came in sinful flesh, which may imply that Jesus had a sinful nature, which he did not have. Nor did he say Jesus came in flesh, which may imply that he had a human nature, but not a divine nature. See, Paul in this text is affirming the hypostatic union, which says Jesus is both fully God and fully man simultaneously. And in the flesh, this God-man, Jesus Christ, sent by the Father, he died for sin, and in turn, he condemned sin. That's what the text says. What a powerful statement. I think we need to think about this. So we see in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But in verse 3, we, we see there is condemnation towards sin. That's a powerful statement. That's something that we need to, to ponder and think about. No condemnation for those who are in Christ, but there is condemnation towards sin. Now, I think the best way for us to understand this is by thinking of a condemned house. See, a condemned house is when a house is, is by a government entity is determined unfit to live in. The tenants are asked to leave, usually because there are violations towards the house, because, because certain codes have been broken. And so you can't live there. It's not safe. It's not healthy. You have to find somewhere else to go. And so these houses usually will crumble on their own after a handful of years, or they're demolished uh, right there on the spot. But either way, we see these houses are rendered completely useless. There's no value. There's no stronghold. It's time for that house to go. And this is kind of what Paul means when he says Jesus condemns sin in the flesh. He's saying because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he has destroyed the penalty of sin. He has broken down the strongholds that entangle our hearts. And Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has been demolished. That is our sinful life and a life of condemnation. And the new has come. And that is the new way of freedom in the Holy Spirit. So yes, there is condemnation, but it's not directed towards Christ followers. It's directed towards sin. And the verdict has been given. The sentence has been proclaimed. The gavel has struck and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that's great news. But that doesn't stop there. And I know you're thinking, man, I can't handle any more great news today. I need a break. I need time out. But I got one more thing to talk about in terms of the text. Because it doesn't stop there. Because not only are we free from the divine penalty of our past, we are now free in the spirit to live a life of obedience and holiness now and in the future. Notice what Paul says in verse 4. So we see that Jesus did all this. God sent his son Christ to, to pay for our condemnation in order that, verse number 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So Jesus lived a sinless life, died on a cross, was buried, and was resurrected, condemning sin and giving us freedom from condemnation in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This means that because the Holy Spirit now dwells in us, we can live a life of holiness that the law was demanding of us. See, God met the requirements of the law through the payment of Jesus on the cross. Only Jesus could fulfill the law's requirements fully. And since believers have union with Christ, we now live the kind of life that God desires us to live. Not a life weighed with condemnation. That, that life is gone. But a life that is seeking to, to live in a way that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord. Loving the Lord with our whole heart and loving our neighbors as ourselves. 
And although we don't do this perfectly all the time, we are now empowered by the Spirit to live a life of obedience. And we can have assurance and confidence that the penalty is paid in Christ once and for all. And because of the Holy Spirit now living inside of us, we can joyfully submit to the headship of Christ and his authority. And in doing so, make choices that will eliminate further condemnation again. Not of our own power, not of our own doing, not of our own work. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have freedom in the Holy Spirit. And so to that end, let me just bring a few points of application as we conclude our time together. The first point is this. We need to reject the lie of condemnation with the truth that we have been forgiven by faith in Christ. We need to reject the lie. We need to speak the truth. Because here is the truth. The enemy of our soul will speak lies into our mind to try and convince us that we are condemned because of the choices of our past. However, we must reject that with the truth that Christ has paid it all on the cross. If we received him by faith and Christ is our Savior, there is no more condemnation. And that is the truth. In fact, it's probably a great idea to have Romans chapter 8, verse 1 in your arsenal to fire at the enemy in those moments. Because it's critical that we replace all lies with the truth of God's word. That's why having God's word hidden in our heart is so, so important. We're going to hear lies. And at times we may even believe that we need the truth of God's word to speak louder than the lies. Reject the lie, speak the truth. Now, having said that, I think we also need to reject the lie that our sins bear no consequences. Because they do. Our sins do bear consequences, but here's the difference between condemnation and the conviction of the Spirit. See, condemnation steals our hope. We see life through a foggy lens. We, we just don't feel like there's, there's any way to move forward from this. That's, that's, that's hard. Like, that's what condemnation does. But conviction, the conviction of the Spirit, it allows us to see our sin with pinpoint clarity. It leads us into the arms of a loving Savior. He will reveal the, the issues that we need to repent of, confess of, and then we move forward on from. That's what, the, that's what the Spirit will do. Condemnation keeps us where we are. Conviction keeps us moving forward. So we need to reject the lie and we need to speak the truth. The second point of application. Use the feeling of condemnation you and I may have to examine whether or not repentance is required. See, feelings aren't facts. Feelings aren't facts. But remember, God has given us feelings to make biblical moves to be conformed into the image of Jesus. So if you are feeling condemnation, if I am feeling condemnation, we need to use it as a time to examine whether, do I need to make amends with somebody? Is there a, a, a sin that I need to confess? Is, is there a, a repentance that is required in my heart? So we need to examine whether this is the case. And if that doesn't apply, you, you examine your heart, you, no one's come to mind, no specific sin issues uh, on the forefront of your mind, then we follow step one, right? Reject the lie, we speak the truth, because chances are it's probably false guilt, and you're stuck in this mentality where you feel guilty even though you may not be guilty. But if the Holy Spirit does reveal that, make the proper steps forward to confess, to, to ask for forgiveness, and ultimately repent. Number three, so we've talked about rejecting the lie, speaking the truth, examining our hearts towards repentance. And then number three, never, ever give up hope. Very simple. Never, ever give up hope. In the midst of our condemnation, it's easy to give up hope and think that this is the best it's ever going to be or that I am never, ever going to be able to move past this. And this is not true. 
It isn't true. We have a God of hope who has made a way to give you and I hope. And, you know, if we were to highlight the rest of chapter 8, we would see how this hope is made so apparent and so tangible for us to have. Because in addition to condemnation, there are a couple of other things that aren't a part of a believer's life that just fuel our hope. We've talked about condemnation, but you know what else isn't a part of a believer's life? Separation. There is no separation. Let's look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 37. This is what Paul says to us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, we are more than conquerors in Christ. There is no defeat for us who are in union with him. So there is no condemnation. There's no holding on to our, our past baggage. There is none of that. There is no defeat in our life through Christ because he's already experienced victory on the cross for us and, and in his resurrection for us. There is no condemnation. There is no defeat. And there is no separation. Check out how chapter 8 ends in verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in this life can separate God's love from you and I. And this is the hope that we have. That there is no condemnation, that there is no defeat, that there is no separation. Therefore, we should not lose hope. Never, ever give up hope. Friends, we're not defined by our past failures. We are defined who we are in Christ. There is no condemnation, no defeat, no separation. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these powerful truths of Romans chapter 8. Guys, pray that as we reflect on these and as we move forward from this room today, God, your word will just stir in our hearts. God, that we'll reflect on the fact that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If we, are, if we have accepted Jesus by faith as our Lord and Savior, God, there's no condemnation. May we reflect on that. And as the enemy of our soul shoots those darts towards us, God, may we have the protection of your presence and your spirit in our life. And God, just, uh, just remind us of Romans 8.1. Just give us the power of these uh, just amazing truths. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.